watch out. Yeah, talking about way out there. Beheim! Wow, does that silence it a little bit? Schrader takes. It's a two-man rush. Schrader steps Don't up. Miss. Pop pass up the middle. Got Parker's it. got it. Room to run. 15-10. Hit, hit in. Gregory touchdown. The Bills make me wanna shout. Allen looks to his left. Fires left side. It goes to the end zone. Stephon Diggs makes the catch. Touchdown, Buffalo. Swing into this. It is over. The Boston Red Sox. Baseball's best all season long. They have won it all. This is On the Block. Yeah, I was driving home yesterday, so I heard some of your show. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. Two, one. Here's X-Men. ESPN Radio 97.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.7.
coming into the Dome already at that 20-win plateau and as the best player in the league tomorrow. So we will start to get that conversation going here. We'll go on the blind side as usual. See what Lukey's got up his sleeve later on in the program here. And we're going to hear from you throughout at 437-7644. Brent Axe Media on Twitter and as mentioned, the live chat is cooking at QSportsTalk.com. So let's talk some Super Bowl. Let's keep it simple in the monologue today. As a sports radio host in the United States of America, I am obligated to tell you all my thoughts on the Super Bowl today. Number one. Uh, Don't ask me my favorite Super Bowl commercial and then yell at me like somebody I know named Jordan who did that before the show. There are certain things that they're not up for debate. Like you asked me what my favorite Super Bowl commercial was. This is not like the start of first Super Bowl take, right? It's like saying, hey, Brent, what's your favorite ice cream? It happens to be mint chocolate chip. Oh, boo, boo, bad take. You asked me what my favorite ice cream is. It's still my favorite. Defeats the whole purpose of it anyway. I'm sure Jordan and I will have some fun with that during one of the Q Sports Talk breaks. Hey, while we're on the subject, by the way, so judge me all you want, I don't care. It was my favorite commercial, the Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lopez commercial. I thought it was fantastic. Simple, funny. I know what they were promoting in there, right? Half the time we're watching Super Bowl commercials, it's like, what exactly was the product you're trying to sell me here? Dollar donuts. I can relate to this. Donuts for a dollar. Grab me a glaze. I'm in. It's funny. Loved it. I loved the commercial. I don't know what Tubby is or Tubi or whatever that thing was. I thought that was hilarious. I knew it was a commercial. All these people that got fooled by it, I don't blame you because they did a great job in presenting that. Who sat on the remote, right? It's like the end of The Sopranos. Like, what happened? Who pulled the plug? I thought it was great. By the way, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, all the choices you have, to not watch the Super Bowl, and that's what you pick? That movie? Okay. Speaking of judging choices, like you know, that's, that's your favorite movie. We really got to have a conversation on that, by the way. On a separate note, I finally saw Top Gun Maverick this weekend. I am the last person in the United States of America to have seen that movie, along with my lovely bride. Uh, it was fantastic, as I probably should have seen that in the theater, but I don't regret that. I'm not going to be on my deathbed one day saying, I wish I saw that one in the theater. But uh, see, that's what I would have picked if I'm on 2B, Tubby, whatever that thing is, and I'm, I'm going to counter-program the Super Bowl. I'm probably going to go with something like that. But anyway, uh, if I start listing them, we're going to go through them all. But those are the ones that stood out to me. I thought, that, and I thought of that because Miles Teller was in that great Bud Light commercial. They were dancing to the on hold music. It's fantastic, right? Celebrities, dogs, simple messages, those are the winners. If you want my overall assessment on the Super Bowl commercials, and I'm not judging you if you liked any of these, but I, if for those that felt like they didn't land this year, I think they just tried to be funny. You don't have to be funny in every Super Bowl commercial, right? You know what the best Super Bowl commercial was last year? AJ and Meadow. Soon as you hear the music, right? Boom. Just uh, hit you right where it counted. It was related to the show. I knew what they were selling, right? Not that that matters, right? But some of these things get way... You know who had a huge uh, Super Bowl ad budget this year? Jesus. How about those commercials, right? We got a close game coming down to the wire, and 
you know, about four minutes to go. I'm like, I, whoa, I, okay, um, I don't really need that, but hey, thanks. I mean, you took a shot before an audience of, you know, 90-plus million people or whatever it ended up being uh, watching a, a great game down to the end there. I'd like to see the follow-up story two years from now. And what made you turn to Jesus? The Super Bowl. Anyway, so there's there's the commercial aspect of it. So debate that all you want. But what I will not do is what Jordan did to me. Ask you your favorite Super Bowl commercial and immediately jump down your throat when you tell me what it was. Number two. It was my favorite. And I can have my favorite. You like it or not, pal. Uh, Patrick Mahomes did something that's never been done in the history of the Super Bowl, which I was surprised to hear. It was the first time that the leading passer in the National Football League won the Super Bowl. That's incredible to think about. And when you look at the list, I'll pull it up while we're yapping about it here. When you think about what it takes to win the Super Bowl, obviously at the top of the list, you need a great quarterback. Now, I know the Trent Dilfers of the world and some average quarterbacks have won Super Bowls in the past because of extraordinary defenses, right? But I think that's still in the formula. Like, if you want to say that we're a Super Bowl contender, then you have to have a good quarterback. You have to have a great quarterback. You have to have a generational talent at quarterback in some cases, right? But the fact that Patrick Mahomes was the first player to lead the NFL in passing and win the Super Bowl, listen to this list, okay? I'm just going to go through names and years. Tom Brady last year, Deshaun Watson 2020. Now, that doesn't surprise me that the Texans didn't win the Super Bowl that year. They even missed the playoffs, right? Jameis Winston, 2019, 5,109 yards, missed the playoffs. Ben Roethlisberger, 2018, missed the playoffs, over 5,000 yards. Tom Brady, Patriots, 2017, lost the Super Bowl. Drew Brees, back-to-back years. They missed the playoffs both years. He's the leading passer in the National Football League. I know yards can be overrated, and we can really get into the numbers of this whole thing, and the analytics nerds are probably pulling their hair out right now, but... I still think that's a pretty incredible correlation that in 57 Super Bowls, it took that long for the leading passer in the league. Now, I think what's important is, like Peyton Manning, 2013, leading passer in the NFL, lost the Super Bowl. They made it there. Tom Brady is on this list a couple of times. Okay, Kurt Warner lost the Super Bowl in 2001 with the Rams, led the NFL in passing, the greatest show on turf back then. Brett Favre. Okay, and there's some names in here that were just compilers. Jeff George is on this list with the Raiders in 1997. That doesn't surprise me that that team lost the Super Bowl. But the fact that that was the case was amazing to me. I was also amazed, you get reminded of these things, that never in the history of the Super Bowl had there been a punt return for a touchdown. We almost got one last night. But you would just think randomly, over 56 prior Super Bowls, somebody would have done that, right? And I love to hear those nuggets. I love to hear that some of these things are like, that's the first time someone scored a touchdown at 8.53 p.m. on a Sunday when there's a half moon. It's like, who cares? But some of these stats, I'm surprised you hear, right? So stat-wise, I was surprised. What I was not surprised was... Number three. Patrick Mahomes did Patrick Mahomes thing. Now, I'm not going to sit here and make any proclamations today that he's going to be the greatest of all time. He's on track to be the greatest of all time and anything like that. People love to wax poetic the day after the Super Bowl. Here's what I know. If Mahomes retired tomorrow, 
He is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Winning two Super Bowls puts you in an elite category. Only Mahomes, Montana, and Brady have won two MVPs and two Super Bowls. And you can just go through that elite category. He's already in. He's 27. He's 27 years old, playing on a bum ankle. And if I'm the Philadelphia Eagles, now you're going to go through the film and you're going to find a play here and there. You're going to see something. It's all about what didn't happen. Trust me, I'll get to the penalty. I didn't want to like lead with that and make it the thing today, but it, it you can't not have a conversation about that today. And we'll, we'll pair a couple of things together there. So the Eagles didn't run the ball as much as they needed to beyond Jalen Hurts. The Eagles did not get a sack, and they had 70 during the season, which was an NFL record, and didn't really do some of the things that they do well, but they played as well of a game as you could play. They controlled time of possession. They overcame a Jalen Hurts fumble, kept pace, scored touchdowns. Uh, Look, Patrick Mahomes was doing his thing. They played as perfect a second half as you can play, but the Eagles were right there. They were right there. Like, I'm feeling pretty good if I'm an Eagles fan from the standpoint today of you played the game you needed to play. They were the better team in the first half. The Chiefs were obviously the better team in the second half, but it's not like the Eagles slacked off. It was a great football game. Where it ranks all time in the history of Super Bowls, I don't know. You guys can figure that out. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's the fourth best Super Bowl of all time. How the hell do we know that? I don't know. Is it in the top ten? If you think it is, great. Like, why do we try to make these proclamations the day after the Super Bowl? I just love the fact it was a great football game. That's all you can ask for. It's all you can ask for. Having lived through a cage back in my day, right? Having lived through a lot of bad Super Bowls consecutively. And I apologize that the Buffalo Bills were a part of some of those. Okay, that's my apologies on that. To get a good competitive game is all you can ask for, right? What you think of the commercials, what you think of Rihanna at halftime. I thought she was great. I thought she was great. Like the way just hyper opinion some of these things just... I'm amused by it. I really, I really am at this point. It, opinions, people. I mean, I've got opinions on Rihanna. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Some things that were done on camera in front of you know a billion people watching or what it was. Okay, that's there are some interesting choices there. The performance, the show was incredible, right? But the greatest show out there was the show we all came to see, Patrick Mahomes. So any doubt about where his status is? in the here and now, and what he could be, I think, are all behind us. We're just now watching him build on a legacy that's already in stone. He's a Hall of Famer. He's chasing the elite. That that has to be said because of the pace he's on, how many Super Bowls he's been in already, the unbelievable talent he brings to the table. And even still, what separates him is ability. What separates him is you just don't see that. Tom Brady, I've seen that before. He did it at a level that puts him in GOAT status, right? But what did Tom Brady do physically that made him different than any quarterback in the history of the league? Nothing. He just did it better than anybody in the standard prototype quarterback way. Mahomes, we, I've never seen this, and you've never seen this, and it, it's incredible. So what it's – I. I'm not at the point, and I think we're all at the point. We can make proclamations and try and be first in line. Say, I told you it's going to be the greatest of all time. If you want to do that, great. 
No one's going to remember and no one's going to care. But he has reached a point where nothing he would do from here on out would surprise me. Nothing. That's how darn good he is. Number four. All right, now we got to talk about the play and we got to talk about the fact that the National Football League, a multi billion dollar operation, can't put a field out there that's suitable for its greatest event. That was an absolute joke. And I remember seeing a story earlier in the week and thinking like they jinxed themselves. Do you know who George Toma is? Those of you that are Super Bowl nerds have probably seen or heard that name through the years. George Toma has done the turf of every Super Bowl ever. The man is 94 years old. He's the turf master, right? I've heard about this guy before and just how he's the expert. He's the guy. And, like, they grew this field for two years, and the way they wheel the field in and out at that stadium I think is pretty unique. Like, a lot of that stuff's interesting how they do this. But the other day, I saw some story, and I think it was even from our, our terrific crew from the Newhouse School of Communications that were there reporting on this story. I think it might have even been their story about George Toma, the turf master, and they were just like puffing their chest out about how this is like the greatest field they've ever put out there. And then what we saw last night were players in the biggest stage in sports slipping all over the place. I mean, that's embarrassing, right? They play these Super Bowls in controlled settings like this for a reason. It's supposed to be the best setting for this game. They don't want weather to affect it. They want it to be perfect conditions so two teams can go out there and play the game that they played last night and still played an amazing game. But, for, like, remember the pinstripe bowl and how bad that field was? That's outdoors in a baseball stadium in December. Like, you almost expect the field to be crappy at a bowl game like that, and it still shouldn't be, but, you know, that's understandable. This is the freaking Super Bowl. They spent literally a million dollars on this thing, and that's what they put out there last night. So that's embarrassing. And what also is embarrassing that Roger Goodell, in the lead-up to that game, said that officiating has never been better. Now, maybe some of you look at that penalty at the end of that game and say, well, that proves it because they spotted a play in the right spot. I don't think you make that call in that spot. And I know that it was admitted afterwards that it was a penalty. I know the player who did it admitted that he tugged on the jersey and basically tried to get away with it. Why? Because that's what happens every single play. Bradbury for the Eagles, and I quote, it was a hold I tugged his jersey. I was hoping they would let it slide. That happens on every single play. And I think it encapsulated, you know what Roger Goodell also said in the postgame craziness? Quote, uh, it was reflective of the entire 2022 season. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, Roger. It was reflective of the 2022 season because what did we talk about more than anything? And the third kind of level of this conversation is uh anybody know what a catch is it's 4 19 p.m i still don't know what a catch is there were amazing plays in that game taken away because of some definition of well he's got to do this and take four steps forward divide by four you know put that into pi and you know the pythagorean theorem tells me that it's not a catch like did he catch the ball like 
why is this so damn complicated? To take that play away from Devontae Smith, and so uh, even Mike Pereira said, I don't know, guys. <laughs> they have this expert sitting in the He honestly did a really good job, to be honest. But why officiating continues to overshadow this sport when, again, this is a fixable issue. You're not going to get every call right. And some people say they got that one right. But why was that the only holding flag in that entire football game on the Philadelphia Eagles? Now, let's say that they don't throw that flag. It's still Kansas City lines up, kicks a field goal. Because that's what I'd rather see. And I think that's what we'd all rather see, short of Bradbury just tackling Tony in that spot or any receiver in that spot. Like, there's certain calls you got to make. See, this is why I love hockey. Hockey officials know when to swallow the whistle and let things go that happen all the time. By the way, hockey also gives it right because when someone wins the Stanley Cup, you know who gets it first? The captain of the winning team, not the owner. No one wants to see that. So that's a whole different topic for a different day. But it just amazes me that the National Football League, this multi-billion dollar machine, continues to screw these things up. And part of me says they do it on purpose because of the conversation than it generates because they don't care because they just made several more billion dollars. It was the most watched television show of the year as it is every year. And it's like, well, what are you going to do about it, right? There is no sport that is more beloved but also more criticized and everything in between, validly, by the way, than the NFL. It brings every emotion out of you, which, again, I think is kind of the point. It's still incredible that on that kind of stage that can happen in that way. Who doesn't want to see Jalen Hurts get the ball back and try and top Patrick Mahomes? No, I'd rather see somebody call a ticky-tack on-the-line penalty and end the game that way. That's what we all came to see. And for those of you that talk about the script and the NFL's rigged and all that, like that that's a hell of an ending there. That's like you know the guys who wrote Game of Thrones. Because that I didn't watch Game of Thrones, but the people that I know that did say that that show just crash-landed. At the end, some people think the Sopranos crash landed at the end. I happen to not think so, but so if you're writing a script and you want to piss people off for the entire offseason, which again might be the point, then that's the script you write. I'd rather see a great player who would have been the MVP of the Super Bowl had his, his team won get the ball back one more time. See if he can go down there and, and outduel somebody who I know is going to the Hall of Fame if he retired tomorrow. Just a few thoughts there. I'm sure you guys have some lingering Super Bowl things that we did not get into. Hope you guys had a a terrific Super Bowl weekend. Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse sports talk shows on QSportsTalk.com. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back, friends. You're on the block, ESPN Radio, QSportsTalk.com. Hope you had a, a terrific Super Bowl weekend. No Q's basketball this weekend. That's always um, sometimes uh, strange, but uh, we certainly filled our time with some lacrosse at the JMA Wireless Dome this weekend. I'm going to get into that coming up here shortly, but, uh, yeah, there was no hoops. They had their weekend off, and I think a needed break, sometimes like in football, the break comes at the right time, it comes at the wrong time for Syracuse to take a breath reassess a little bit here before this upcoming four game stretch where as the kids would say it gets real and you got NC State coming into the dome tomorrow oh 
going to take your sweetie to see NC State at the Dome on Valentine's Day. How romantic. NC State, 20-6, and 10-5 team. Trevion Smith is unequivocally the best player in the league this year. He's going to win the ACC Player of the Year. I'd be stunned if he didn't. So you have NC State. A little team called Duke comes in on Saturday. Duke plays Miami tonight right here on ESPN Syracuse, by the way. So they've got a tough matchup before they play Syracuse later this week. Uh, Duke's not Duke right now, but they're still Duke, if that makes sense, right? Duke's not Duke, but they're still Duke, right? That's not going to be a cakewalk for the Orange by any stretch. And then you get Clemson and Pitt following that. Two straight at the Dome, then you go on the road for two. And Syracuse is not playing for the tournament right now, unless it's got three letters as opposed to four. But you want to prove yourself against the best of the best in the top of the league because if you're going to make a run in Greensboro, which is the only ticket this team has left, and we're still a month away from when is Selection Sunday this year? I'll look that up while we're talking about it here. I should put that on hold music up that they were dancing to in that Bud Light commercial. I believe, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, Selection Sunday is the 12th this year? Look that up for me, boys, to confirm. Anyway, what what I mean is we're still a month away. There's still a month of coming down the stretch, conference tournaments, and then Selection Sunday. But if Syracuse is going to make a run in Greensboro, you're going to have to beat one of the following four teams that come up on the schedule. Like, that's just inevitable. Virginia Tech did it last year. I'm not predicting that this team can do it this year. Would I fall out of my chair stunned? Probably because of the inexperience that's there and the absolute just heater they'd have to go on to do it but now you get four games to see if he can punch up because I've seen this team be teams below them in the standings and some of those games have been close right but now starting tomorrow with NC State uh, it gets real we'll listen into a couple things Jim Beheim said on the ACC media call but I mentioned lacrosse my guy Wayne in the truck wants to jump in and uh, talk about that which we're always welcome to do on this show at 437 Seventy-six forty-four. Wayne, happy Monday. How you doing, bud? Oh, not bad, Brett. How about yourself, man? A couple, great. Of, couple of takes from the uh, from yeah. the lacrosse weekend. Lay it on me. Uh, and then my first one, uh, most glaring thing. There is a huge gap between Will Mark and Harrison Thompson. Yeah, unfortunately for HT, but Will Mark just he vacuums up a lot of saves that we just didn't get C made last year with either goalie. In, in, in that, but he makes a lot of them. And Wayne, he's particularly great on the bounce shot, and that's not easy. That That's the toughest save for a goalie to make, and he's really good on the bounce hey, shot. I don't know if you noticed it uh, watching that game, but his hands were so much faster than, than Harrison Thompson. 100%. 100%. 100%. But, yeah, and I try not to trust guys with two first names, but that's a rule somewhere, right? That's like that speech <laughs> that the coach gave in Teen Wolf, like never play cards with somebody with the first name as a city and never trust a guy with two first names. There you go. And the second takeaway is uh, oh, the women The women are going to be really fun to watch. And a third quick takeaway with the guys, by two-thirds of the way into the season, we are going to have, I think, a really good Really good team because Dave Petromala's done an amazing job with that defense in the offseason. Here's amazing. here's the thing on that, Wayne. I think we're going to know a lot more Saturday at about three o'clock because Vermont, Albany, 
And uh, Holy Cross, uh, not good lacrosse teams. But, and thanks for the call, Wayne. Appreciate it, sir. So let's flip the script. I was going to talk hoops here, but while we're on the lacrosse note. Gary Gay played this well. Gary Gay scheduling those three teams, and he has said on the record a number of times in the preseason that they scheduled more with purpose this year, and I think he tried to be diplomatic. But he wanted this team as ready as possible to play Maryland. They knew they had Maryland, fourth game, defending national champions. I know Maryland lost this weekend. Tell me that's not still a great team, okay? Syracuse can't be thumbing their nose on anybody. Loyola played a great game. I don't think, if anything, that's the worst possible scenario for Syracuse, that Maryland's going to have a week to stew on that and be pissed off about that. And their defense is too good. They've got the best goalie in the country. Brett McCarr is the best close defender in the country. And just Maryland's going to be fine. I'm going to know a lot more about this team after that game, but I love how Gates set that up. He's got a young team. They've got to get in sync. What Wayne said there about Dave Petromala, that defense, it's the first time in three years, four years, since 2019. Because obviously the 2020 season was interrupted, but this is the first time that their first three opponents were held under 10 goals. That's a credit to Petromala. It's more of a credit to Will Mark. Will Mark's the real deal. I still want to see him against Maryland, North Carolina, some teams upcoming on the schedule. Don't get me wrong. But here's another take from the weekend. Joey Spillane is good at the lacrosse. There had only been three freshmen that had scored five goals or more in a game since 2000. Spillane has done it twice in the last two games. First game, Vermont, one goal on 15 shots. But he was still getting to his spots. He was still tough to defend. He's still, I mean, Spolina is going to match every bit of hype he got coming in. Five goals on seven shots against Albany and Holy Cross. He's driving to the crease, switching hands, going between two defenders. You know what I love that I saw on the field on Saturday? Pardon me. I love what I saw Saturday with the women's team, as we'll get to, but Friday and Sunday. There's more flair in this offense. Owen Hiltz is going behind the back. Joey has every shot in the book and a couple you've probably never seen. Finn Thompson, smooth, great stick skills. And these are those Canadian players. Finn, Owen Hiltz, Alex Simmons has been fantastic. The stick skills and what you need on the crease and how the ball's moving. Jackson Burtwistle's been great. I still think there's a depth issue at Mitty that's going to be tough to overcome against better teams, but they're free to prove me wrong. So what I like is they only won four games last year. They've already won three. They set themselves up as best as they could to get things in sync before the schedule gets tougher, and there's there's flair back on that field. I'm now reminded of the movie Office Space and how many pieces of flair that Jennifer Aniston had to wear. Now that's the bare minimum. Great movie. On the women's side, they've got to stay healthy. It's just that simple. If they do, that's a national championship contender. I love what I saw from Delaney Schweitzer in that. The offense is going to be one of the best in the country because Meg Carney's back healthy. She missed a bunch of games last year. Emma Tyrell's back healthy. Megan Tyrell wasn't hurt, but she's just at a level few can match in the country, and one who can was on the other side of the field. Izzy Skane comes back, 
has five goals, two assists. Looks like she never walked off the field. She was incredible. Emma Ward's back on that field. The depth, the offensive production that they have is they can match anybody in the country. Carolina, Maryland, Northwestern, you name it. They just got to stay healthy. They just got to. It's, it's that simple because they lost too many players due to injury last year, still made the tournament, but they were just awful level from those elite teams. You even saw it in the North Carolina game, which came a little later in the schedule. I love the quote from Kayla Trainer after the game when she was talking about how people thought I was crazy for scheduling Northwestern as the first game. And they get Maryland, who's number two in the country, coming up on Friday at the Dome. Crazy like a fox because this team was just a little more juice in their step, knowing that the schedule was tough early. And, you know, let's test ourselves right out of the shoot here. The men took a different approach, which is understandable given how young that team is. The women's team is experienced, has a bunch of scoring back. Uh, I, how about Katie Goodell with four knockdowns and four ground balls? And you just, you, you've got to mix in some of that stuff that doesn't get quite the shine that scoring goals and, you know, the, the, the flare and flash of the offense gets. Can I just say this, though? I, We've talked a lot about officiating. My frustration, it was still a 16-15 game, and it was still a back-and-forth game, and it was still exciting. My frustration with women's lacrosse is it is just overly officiated. And I don't like how many one-on-one opportunities there are in that game with the 8-meter. It'd be the equivalent of a hockey game having, like, 10 penalty shots. I just don't like how over-officiated the women's game can be and how many one-on-one opportunities there are. It's unique. It sets it apart. It's an exciting play. I mean, tell me you don't hold your breath when you see Megan Tyrell grab the ball and is going to go take a run at that Northwestern goalie. I just think there's too many of them. I think they've got to adjust the rules to cut back on how many of these one-on-one chances there are. Lacrosse, I, I think, is a game that's better. when it's If you get a one-on-one opportunity because you beat your defender, and now it's just you and the goalie. That's one thing. But this whole just take off from the eight meter and shoot, I've just never been a fan of that. And I think that officials get way too involved in the game. Now, where I sat in the press box at that game, the Northwestern fans were right in front of us. There was a lot of them there, including, by the way, you know who was there as a Northwestern fan? Stu Gotts from the Dan Lebitard show. Yeah. You get the show. He, uh, his daughter plays for Northwestern. Stugat's always been a big lax guy, but how fun was that? You look down, that's their Stugats, right? I did not fanboy, for the record. I did not fanboy. I did not go down and take a selfie. I had restraint in that department. It was still cool to see him there. So I got off track there because I remember, oh, yeah, Stugats was there. But... I don't know. That's just a, a minor frustration. I have. It's still a great game. Don't get me wrong. 16-15, back and forth, one goal game. Came right down to the end. I This is not going to be the last time those two meet on the field, for sure. Great lacrosse weekend at the Dome. Glad Wayne brought that up. So if you want to chime in on that, if you saw the games, you were at the Dome. Look, the men are 3-0. and They got into the rankings today. That women's team, I always knew it was a top-five team. They just got to validate it and, and win those games. It's still a long season ahead, but to come out of the shoot with Northwestern and Maryland, like, <laughs> giddy up. There's a fine line between genius and insanity, and if they get through that 2-0, and 
Kayla Trainer is going to look like a heck of a genius for that scheduling move. Let us break. We'll come back and uh, get back on the hoops front. You want to talk some lacrosse. If you're just joining us and want to get your Super Bowl thoughts in, certainly not going to turn you away there at 437-7644. We'll come back. Stay right there.